Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a great privilege to start a new series. Also, I thought until I realized that actually um, we were starting Esther. And in chapter one, there's no mention of God and no mention of Esther. And so uh, it did leave me wondering a little bit what uh, this talk was going to be about. But it might be a bit different, but here we go. We are thinking about courage. Um, Now, I wonder if we can get that uh, full screen. There we go. Now, it's quite an old picture there. Um, I wonder if you can guess or see who is bending over the vehicle. Maybe you'll get a clue from who else is around. Um, It's the same person, actually, who was photographed a year earlier, tending her allotment in the World War II Dig for Victory campaign. Um, She's 18 here and has signed up for the Auxiliary Territorial Service, which is the women's branch of the army. And she's become a mechanic. About a year after this, the war comes to an end. And this princess has just a few more years before, under distressing circumstances, she becomes queen. Seventy years after that, uh, just last weekend, in fact, many of us were celebrating her long reign. Now, we might think many things about the queen, and certainly there are differing views, and no doubt even among us here today. But we are going to be looking at biblical royal queens over the next few weeks. But let me ask you, would you say, knowing what you do of Queen Elizabeth II and something of the last 70 years, that she is a queen who has displayed courage? Is courageous a fair description? Well, we are going to be looking at courage through this new series and courage does almost universally tend to be viewed as a good quality one that is an aspirational quality so why do we admire courage what is it we can probably think of books and films with a courageous character in there that we like. We may even know somebody personally who we would describe as courageous. And they might be a good friend or a family member or someone we know who we say, they are so courageous. Is it something we hope to see in ourselves? Or is it something we want to see in others or both? And what inspires that courage? Well, it might be a conviction or a belief that is held, but it could be a desire to obtain or protect something or someone. And in the book of Esther, it's both. So, uh, before we begin, a little bit of a... A warning. Now, I am conscious uh, there are children here. 
Um, but if this book was made into a film, and there have been one or two, um, it could end up being classified 15, 18, uh, maybe in a few countries banned altogether. The content warning may say it includes extreme violence amongst other things that are not pleasant, including quite a few abuses. And the adult themes in there would include hate crimes and racism leading to genocide. It's not good. So do we still want to have a look? Well, we're kind of drawn by those things to see what's going on at least, aren't we? And hopefully we can learn from them and maybe even make a difference in our own lives. Well, this short series is just six talks. And it is going to be useful, I think, to place the events in their historical and biblical place and time. That will not only help us through the story, but it will enable us to see the bigger picture. The bigger picture of the Bible, really. God saving people. That's really the story. It's a God saving people story. So, a little quiz for you. Uh, if we can have that up full size. Oh, one's uncovered. Uh, can we name those other two under there? Can you, can you tell where those are? Oh, they're all uncovering. Oh, well. Oh, they've all gone back now. These are great. What they can do is make uh, anything unpredictable. So here we go. Uh, you know them now. I think what I need to do is be more patient with the clicker. <laughs> so here we go. Um, we're talking really about this area of the world. Egypt and across northern Africa, down through Sudan and Ethiopia. These are modern day Places we might well recognize from our knowledge of the world and news. Certainly, Turkey, some people might have uh, been there, um, and Iran actually. Iran is the center of the Persian Empire. So that is where we are looking in this setting for Esther. It's really about the Persian Empire. Um, so let's have a look at how that translates into an older map. So here's the Persian Empire. It doesn't really go down into the Arabian Desert area but look how far that stretches across North Africa into Europe and to the east towards India the big area of conflict is over on the left on this map with Greece that was all the um, basically where the big fights were happening um, so we're in a um, a situation where we've had the Assyrian Empire, we've had the Babylonian Empire, we've got the, the Medes, and then they get kind of taken over by the Persians, and this is all just before the Roman Empire. 
So that is where we are sitting in history. Now, there are two important places probably that we want to uh, identify in here. One is Susa. That's kind of the Persian center. It's a, there's a big citadel there. And that's where the, um, the events we're about to see are based in Susa. That's still in modern-day Iran. And the other one of interest to us, reading the Bible, is Jerusalem. So you can see it's a fair old... Um, it's a fair walk. You can't get a boat or anything like that. Um, so that is where we are at with those. So that's where it fits in the geography. Um, what about uh, the Bible? How does it fit into the Bible timeline? Well, if you think about going from the creation of the world all the way through the Exodus, Judges, this great kingdom with people like David, and then the Babylonians take um, uh, the Jews off into exile, we're at the point where the exile's coming to the end and we're returning. The Jews are returning. Still all to come is Christ, uh, the church, and obviously looking forward to our time. So that's where it fits into the Bible. Um, this is, it's not a great diagram, but it, it is probably quite an important one in terms of setting Esther for us. The exile didn't just happen. You saw the great distance of walking across from Susa to Jerusalem. Well, not all of the Jews were there. They were spread across the empire. And they would have returned to Jerusalem in stages. So the key thing is the temple has been rebuilt. And that's starting to attract the Jewish nation back to Jerusalem. The Jews are on the up. They are gaining in power. They're being let go from their exile. That is crucial to this story. They're not all there yet. The wall hasn't been built, famously by Nehemiah. They're just starting to return. But it takes a long time. We're talking nearly 500 years before Christ. Um, So around this sort of era as well, um, you would have had in the East... Uh, Buddha was making his contributions and Confucius. Um, That's the sort of time. And if you're into uh, great battles and history, then the Greeks and uh, the Persians, it's the Battle of Marathon and all of those uh, epic films that were made um, about that time. So, where does it fit in the Bible? Well, that is a tricky one, to be fair. Um, It's not... Um, a book of uh, law. So it's not a load of instruction telling us what to do. It is not a chronological, sequential set of events uh, in the history of Israel. Um, It's not prophecy, which you can see all above on the top there. And it's not kind of Psalms, Proverbs, all this kind of wisdom literature. It's none of that. It kind of sits most comfortably, I suppose, with Ruth and maybe with Job, as a personal account, really, a story from which we can learn lessons. So who's in there? Who is in our book of Esther? 
Well, we've got um, the king, King Xerxes I. We don't know too much uh, about him or even uh, about the author of the book of Esther. Um, It's a tricky period of time uh, to find information from, although if you're an Iranian historian, you probably, well, you would know a lot more than me about this. So we've got Queen Vashti, who we will hear about today. That's the first of our biblical queens. She gets deposed and replaced by Esther, uh, the second queen, and our main character, who the book is named after. There's Mordecai, cousin of Esther, and this character develops through the book. Watch him uh, as you go through. And then we've got a villain, or the bad guy, um, Haman, uh, who is given. We've said before, God is not mentioned by name, um, but do look out for him all the same. So, hopefully, we are ready to read that first chapter. You can follow along um, in your Bible, um, but I would recommend that you watch instead and listen on this occasion. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes, who ruled over 120 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At the time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink without restriction, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, When King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mehuman, Bista, Habona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zepha, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles 
for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. He spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. Kashina, Shitha, Admatha, Tarshish, Meris, Masina, and Memucan, the seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the Queen's conduct will respond to all the King's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the King, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands, from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. So the king did, as Memucan proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. I'm glad that was a spontaneous round of applause because I was going to suggest uh, a big thank you to William for that. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, if you've um, done anything on Minecraft, then you will know how long that takes. <laughs> so thank you very much. I think that was brilliant. Well, our title this morning is A Different Time. And you can easily see how different from our world today that this two-and-a-half-thousand-year-old society really is. There's this leader throwing parties and making important decisions at the whim of a few advisers. There's war, and there's talk of war, uh, mostly in Greece in this case. There's a culture where men see themselves as in charge of women, and they enforce this in a physical way. We see, too, that those who don't exactly conform, they're persecuted and mistreated or they're disadvantaged. And we see those who have wealth and power and status attempt to rule unfairly 
in order to gain even more. So as you can see, this is nothing like our world today. We will face some difficulties as we study Esther. Historically, it is a difficult period to identify characters and texts. We come to this really with little information other than the book of Esther itself. But we also come with our own world view, which is certainly different. And we are much more individualistic and focused on rights uh, than this ancient culture would have been. And we will no doubt be appalled by what seems to go on through this book. And in this case, chapter one, probably it's the sexism, the misogyny that jumps out as most uncomfortable. Although the drunken partying bit may also be unacceptable to many. But this passage, and indeed the book, sets the scene of events and what is happening. It is not setting up and teaching or even condoning a particular way of life. And I think that's worth remembering as we go through. So consider this great Persian king. Xerxes. He may be in charge of an empire and he may be able to invite all his powerful friends to hugely lengthy banquets uh, and clearly getting quite drunk. But then when he asks for his queen to come, she says no. She refuses. It would have been quite normal for the men to have their banquets separately from the women. But then um, Vashti is in this difficult position, really. She is in a lose-lose situation. But she would know that refusal would cost her probably everything, maybe even her life. So the courage and strength of Vashti's stand is evident. And she makes it. So she is supposedly someone under the king's command and power, But evidentially, ultimately, she is not. And that's replicated later as we see the Jews, supposedly under the power and control of the empire, and empires that have gone before, and empires that come later, like the Roman Empire. But ultimately, they are not. There are greater powers at work. And Xerxes is exposed further as weak, when he gets in a little bit of a strop and then asks his advisors what he should do with his disobedient queen. And the whole chapter really paints a picture of a wealthy and in many ways powerful but frivolous and weak king who's fearful. He's actually fearful that his empire will fall into disarray if people stop obeying his commands. We don't see much in the way of courage from him as we go through. So this is a different time, but the nature of humans involved is, I would suggest, not so different. Their desires are the same. Their actions are the same. Their weaknesses are the same. Their needs are the same. Essentially, this is a corrupt world with corrupt people. And there are those who 
although deemed weak, have the courage and faith to stand up to injustice and trust that God will save them. It is a different time for the Jews as they return and rebuild their nation. Their history already reveals to them that God is willing and able to save them. And this is a different time in that it is before Jesus, the ultimate saviour. The Jews at this time had an expectation of a Messiah. We can actually look and see him. So over the next few weeks, as we go through this book, we are looking out for courage. Although we will not see God mentioned by name, we might spot his saving power among the numerous coincidences and events. What inspires this courage? Why make a stand against powerful forces at risk to yourself? Vashti was banished. She may have even been executed for her actions. We will continue this series looking at the involvement of the Jews with their beliefs, their trust in a saving God. That will be what inspires them to have courage. And they have that courage to take action in the face of extreme persecution. So a good question for us to ask ourselves in applying this to our time today, then I think might be this. In the light of what we know of Jesus, do our beliefs and our values inspire us to be courageous? I pray you will see your courage encouraged.